Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. We're in our series in 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 15. That's where we'll kind of be coming from this morning. Uh, we finished up chapter 14 last week. And then uh, I already preached the first part of 15 a few weeks ago on Easter because it's about the resurrection. So we kind of skipped to, to go forward and now we're kind of catching back up. And so we're in the last part of chapter 15. If you remember, we talked about this in our series. Paul is writing, the author of this book is the uh, Apostle Paul. He is writing to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth is very much like our culture. They're finding themselves trying to, to live out their faith in a culture that's probably very similar to ours. It was a major trading route. Uh, you had people that were, um, it was one of the places you went for entertainment. You could get anything you wanted, even sexually, as there were temples to prostitutes that would walk around, and you could do anything you wanted. And this city was kind of like Las Vegas. Here we go. Um, that, that was Corinth. And anything goes. And so... There's a church that's started there by Paul, and Paul leaves because he's planting churches, and he leaves elders and leaders in charge as he goes out, and now he's writing a letter back to them because they've had questions. And his letter back to them, and we've seen this over and over again throughout the book, is telling them to keep their eyes focused on Jesus, and keep their eyes focused specifically on what he did, that he paid the ultimate price. You know, on Mother's Day, Mother's Day is not always a celebratory day for everybody. Mother's Day can be a very difficult holiday. If you've lost your mom, it can be a day that is sadness, especially if maybe this is the first year that you're without your mother. Uh, if you had a mother that wasn't there for you, it can be a very kind of numbing holiday that, well, I, my mom left and I didn't have a mother. Um, if you're struggling to have children and give life and birth into the world and you look at people that you know have tons of kids or people that don't even want their children it can be a hard day for a lot of people and what Paul talks about in the book of 1 Corinthians is that the cross is what makes sense and what Jesus did on the cross is what makes sense out of everything in life but it doesn't really make sense to those that don't understand who Jesus is. And that's the verse that we've used. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's God's power to us who are being saved. So it's this idea that the idea of giving your life for someone else who doesn't deserve it, who hasn't earned it, who's really worthless to you, is insanity in our culture today. It's where Roe v. Wade came from. The idea that I can decide what to do and no one can tell me otherwise. It's just pride. And the cross is the death of pride. It says, I give my life when I don't have to, that the God of the universe who had all rights to everything in creation, he had all rights to your life, he has all rights to everything, came from heaven to earth, placed himself in the body of a man to pay the ultimate price that we deserve for the sin we've committed, that we all have a death penalty against us, Romans says, for the mess and the sin that we have and the pride and the attitudes we have in our heart. And Jesus paid that price for us when he had every right to demand his rights. And that is just foolishness 
to the world around us. It was foolishness in Paul's day, and it's foolishness in our day. This idea that I'm going to risk my life, to give my life, and it may be of no benefit to me earthly, and that there is another life that I know that will be a benefit later, so it's worth it now. You know, the last several weeks, we've gone through all of these topics that Paul's went through. Foolishness and understanding, wisdom, how to be spiritual people, all these different things. Last week, he clarifies the gospel, and then he says to speak and be silent. This week, what I want us to look at is something that maybe you might consider in your life, and that is this. Your labor is not in vain. Labor is a word that has kind of a dual meaning, right? Labor as in labor and delivery, giving birth to a child, but also labor as in what you do each week to make an income, to live your life. And I'm telling you, it can seem so foolishness week after week to give yourself maybe in an office where no one else is giving themselves and you feel like you're being poured out every day for nothing. To give yourself to a church family. I'm not talking about this family. But a church family or to Christians who don't give much in return. To give yourself to a spouse who doesn't seem like they recognize or care about the labor that you've given. It can be so exhausting to pick up your cross and follow Christ daily, which is the call of the gospel. And as Paul has written this book of 1 Corinthians, and we come to the end of the book, he has listed out some hard teachings. He has laid out in the beginning of the book the clarity of the gospel. He starts answering specific questions over issues in the church, difficult issues, and the way they are to be handled within their culture and within their church. And as he comes down to the end of his letter, he makes sure to remind them that everything I've taught you, everything we've been talking about for 15 chapters, boils down to you understanding that your labor is not in vain because of what Jesus did and because you can depend on a resurrection that's coming. That everybody in the world is dying. All of us are on a path to death. We don't know how quick we'll get there and we don't know how it's going to end. I can't promise you this. Most people do not die peacefully, old, healthy in their sleep. That's not the way most of us are going to go out. That's very rare. Most of us are going to go out of this life and it's going to be laborious as we go out. It's going to be brutal. And there will be moments when you're doing life, when you're struggling in relationships, when you're trying to figure out what life's about and being in this culture that doesn't even acknowledge God that you're going to have to ask yourself, is it even worth it? Is it just all vanity? Is it just pointless? And I can tell you this, Paul says... If you don't believe in the resurrection and in heaven to come, yep, it's pointless. It will be vanity. It, you will feel it, and it will be misery. He reminds them, first thing, and before we jump to that, here are some women that labored. We looked at this list last week. I'm bringing it back up this week. Eve, Sarah in the Old Testament, who was Abraham's wife, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, Jochebed, Zipporah, Miriam, Rahab, Deborah, Ruth, Hannah, Bathsheba, Esther, Mary, Elizabeth, Martha and Mary, Mary Magdalene, Phoebe. These are women of the scripture. And when you read their stories, they labored in their lives. I mean, when you look at the stories of these people, Eve was deceived by the serpent and 
Adam was glad to be deceived with her. (laughs) Wasn't her fault. It was both their faults. Yet, she had to bear children in pain. And he told Adam, you're going to work by the sweat and labor of your whole life and get nothing but thorns and thistles. That's just the way it's going to be. And you're going to have to depend on me to send a Messiah, to send a Savior through the woman that will come someday to win. And Adam, it won't be your seed that brings a Savior. It'll bring God's seed that brings a Savior through the woman. What incredible mercy God has for the woman in her deception to say, I'm going to use you to bring salvation into the world. I'm going to use the labor of you putting yourself in a position where this thing in you is growing and may kill you as my way of salvation. That is the gospel message from Genesis all the way through. And it is a beautiful picture. And when moms willingly give their lives, and we don't think about risking our life to be pregnant today, but really up until about 100 years ago, that was the norm. To be pregnant was a life risk. Now we have so many modern miracles and ways that we can save the baby and save women, which is why Roe v. Wade is such a controversy now. We know science that we didn't know before, and the science is pointing to the fact that we made some bad choices. We didn't think through this well. And we need to go back and think through, is our labor really in vain, giving our lives to someone who doesn't deserve it, that I didn't want? Listen, I'm amazed every day that Jesus wants me. Because there are days I don't want myself. (laughs) I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, there's nothing here, Lord. And it's his amazing grace and his love that says, no, it's worth it. And it was through these women that God brought his Messiah to us. So on Mother's Day, and when we think about what's going on in our culture, there should be a moment where we pause and we think about, and by the way, these women were a mess. (laughs) Sarah convinced her husband, you know, to sleep with another woman. You know, we talk about open marriages. Sarah was the first woman to encourage an open marriage. Bad idea, right? They're still fighting a war over it in the Middle East to this day because of that. Between Ishmael, Abraham's children through Hagar, That's Islam and Judaism and Christianity, which is Abraham's children through Isaac. God said that war is always going to be there till he comes back. And yet God used Sarah. I mean, that's the story of our book. It's the story to say your labor's not in vain. And when you mess up, it's okay. It's not vain. I, I can use that still somehow. And so as we dive in and we think about this this week, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're tired. I don't know if you're excited. I don't know if you're, you're done with school and you're like, oh, I'm done. And then you're like, oh, crud, now I have to work a job. Like, that always comes around, right? Like, your, na- your labor's never done. You think, oh, I'm done. And, you know, you get done mowing the yard. And then you look around and you're like, and there's three other projects. I'm not done yet. Like, it can seem like vanity. So as we dive into chapter 15, here's what Paul says at the beginning. He says, now brothers, and that means brothers and sisters, I want to clarify for you the gospel, that's the good news, that's what gospel means, good news. We live in a world that profits off bad news. Social media is all about bad news. Sometimes a good news story will go viral, and we're all amazed by it, (laughs) right? More of these, everybody says. And then you look at your own feed, and you're like, I shared 10 negative things and one positive. Well, start with you sharing more (laughs) positive stories. 
He goes on and he says, I proclaim to you, you received it and have taken your stand on it. The question for us is, do we take, what do we take our stand on? Again, we're living in a culture that's taking their stand on all kinds of issues because they see the vanity of life. They see that life slips away. And so they're trying to cling to their life and what they want and their desires as much as they can because they can't just release their life because they don't understand that there's another life to come. So they can't give, I got to get mine. And I can't let anybody or anything get in the way of that. And I I feel for him. It's exactly what the Bible says. We'll see in a second. You should feel like if you don't know God and you don't believe in the resurrection. Paul goes on and he says, we take our stand that you are also saved by this gospel. If you hold to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believe for no purpose, he says. He's like, unless you believe the gospel because it was like fire insurance. If you believe the gospel for fire insurance, he's like, You may not have believed the gospel because the gospel requires death. And when you understand that there's someone who died for you and there's a God who currently is laboring for you, that Jesus Christ is standing before the throne between holding back the wrath of God on our behalf saying, they're ours, that's my child, I will not, they are forgiven And then he looks at the child, us, and says, it's time for some discipline. I've got to get you ready to meet the heavenly father, and so we need to get some discipline so you're ready to come into the new world that will be created. It's a beautiful picture. He says, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received. Paul's like, this isn't a new message, this is an old message that keeps getting passed on. The message that we share is a message that was written down thousands and thousands of years ago and continues to prove itself true. He says that Christ died for our sins. Again, the whole Old Testament was someone has to pay the price for sin. God is not unjust. God does not just forgive sin and let it slide like it's no big deal. That is not God. That is not our justice system. And when we do that, justice is bad and people get hurt. God says, no, 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 I'm going to actually take the justice. And that's what Christ did. The Messiah came to take the justice deserved for our sins according to the scriptures. Paul says, this isn't a message we made up. This is a message God told us through his word. He said it, not us. It's not like I feel this way about God. I think this way about God. No, no, no. This is what God says. That he was buried. Jesus Christ died and he was buried. Now pause for a second. That's not good news. (laughs) Everyone in history has died and been buried. Everybody. You will die and be buried. So will I. That's not shocking. It's like, duh. Here's the good part. That he was raised on the third day according to to the scriptures. In other words, God says it was even done according to the Old Testament and how it was laid out, which we looked at that, and how it was laid out with Passover and first fruits, that we're counting the Omar right now until we get to the ultimate first fruits and the Holy Spirit coming down and the Torah being given. He says this is according to the scriptures. And then it says that he appeared to Cephas, then to 12, then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time, most of them still alive, but some have fallen asleep. You know, we're in the midst of a very famous, ridiculous trial right now. 
Every time someone talks about the, the herd and depth trial that's going on, I just am like, what is, we are, we've come, so, we are so dumb. Like we just, this is so pointless. Why are we even paying attention to this? It's constantly everywhere and people are talking about it. Last night, we graduate, people are talking about it. I'm like, I don't care, right? And he says, if you took the resurrection to trial, when Paul's writing this letter, he goes, I can bring you hundreds and hundreds of witnesses right now that can testify they saw a dead man and be dead, buried in a tomb, crucified on a cross, Roman soldier stabbed him to be sure he was dead, buried him, and he was walking around alive, healthy and well. I don't know if I have 500 people that would come to my defense on anything, nor probably should they. <laughs> right? If you know me well enough. But Paul's like, I am telling you, if you don't believe this resurrection thing, let's call the witnesses. Let's have a trial. And Paul says, that's what we stand on. Then he goes to the end of chapter 15 and he says this. He's talking about our faith. He's talking about the resurrection. And he says, you know, the reality is, in verse 26, the last enemy to be abolished. That Christ has abolished all these rulers and authorities and enemies. He goes, but the last thing that has to be abolished is death. We just came through a pandemic. And we were scared, literally, of death. Everything was going to kill us. And Christians, who should have been the least scared, and the most confident, and the most excited to see Jesus, and the most caring, unfortunately, some of them became the worst. And that should check our own hearts a little bit. I'm not saying about being responsible, right? Like you should be responsible if you're sick and coughing all over someone that you're not like, here, have Jesus. <laughs> no, that's, that's not good. But we were so scared of what? Hey, there are diseases in the world that'll kill you. <gasps> what? Yeah, they're everywhere. Do you know how many people malaria kills a year? Have you ever been scared of malaria? We have. Our daughter got it. She went to Africa. It was a little scary for a moment. They sent her home with drugs, takes, so she could, she had another episode because they said you might have another episode. What? This is, people live with malaria and they do their lives and they go through things and for us, we finally faced something that we couldn't answer, that we didn't have the answers to, that we didn't know and we literally shut down our entire lives out of fear. And Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he's like, be careful. If you run around afraid of all the time, you are, you're going to be a miserable person. We don't run around afraid. We run around confident knowing that our labor is going to produce a resurrection in people's lives. That there is a resurrection coming. And I don't have to be afraid. It's a beautiful thing. And he goes on and he says, for God has put everything under his feet. That's Jesus. But when it says everything is put under him, it's obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. In other words, God the Father puts everything under the Son. So, like, he's, the, he's above everything else. And when everything is subject to Christ, Christ being Messiah, that's what the word means. He's re referring to the Old Testament promised one to come and save us. 
then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him so that God may be all in all. In other words, so that the Trinity is on display of what it looks like when everybody submits to one another properly and we all obey and do exactly what God's asked us to do under the power of God, the Heavenly Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is a heavenly family working together without conflict. One God, three persons exist and are shown. Is that hard to understand? Yep, very hard to understand. But do you even understand your wife or your girlfriend? Or your husband? Or your kids? I mean, literally, I'm playing with my grandchild last night, right? And we're just making stuff up. Like, she's making noises and we're like, Susan was like, yeah, she's telling her grandma right now happy birthday because she's so excited that it's my birthday and we're celebrating it together. Like, it's awesome. Like, we're just making up what she's thinking in her head. She's not, I don't know what she's probably like, you are goofy looking. That's what she, th- you know, think of me. But, but that's what we do. And, but, but God says, yes, this is a mystery, but it's really not. If you look around at the world, the way things work and the mystery of the world reflect the, the new world and God and the way things are going to work someday. This isn't, this isn't that much of a mystery. God has created and put himself in creation for us to see. And so when you see a family that gets along, that's working together, we saw M- uh, Malia's roommate and her family came to celebrate the graduation and they're having a big picnic on, on the front lawn of, of this house this, that these college students were living and their family just enjoying one another, getting along. There's unity in the day. And you're like, yeah, that's heaven, right? And then there's the opposite of that, which may be your house. <laughs> That doesn't quite look like heaven. <laughs> Looks like someone's going to, I hope no one dies today. And by God's grace, we trust him to change our hearts so that we're people that love one another. Verse 29 goes on to say this. Otherwise, will they d- do who are being baptized? Otherwise, what will they do who are being baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized for them? Why are we in danger every hour, Paul says. He's like, I'm not just concerned about COVID. Every hour I'm concerned about getting killed because I'm preaching the gospel. I affirm by the pride in you that I have, I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day, Paul says. Every day when I wake up, I'm thinking about how to give my labor, not in vain, but to give my life for others, not trying to get life that day. Paul says, that's my attitude when I wake up in the morning. Not how am I going to get through the day, how am I going to get life, but how do I surrender myself to Jesus? How do I allow him to have control over my life and give my life to others? If I fight, fought wild animals in Ephesus with only human hope, what good did that do me? Paul fought wild animals in Ephesus. I don't know if he was like thrown in the arena. Like some scholars believe he was thrown in the arena and he went in and had to like do the gladiator thing and God delivered him out. If that's true, Paul's got to be one of the coolest dudes that you'd ever meet. That's Paul. He went into the arena and came out. He's the ultimate gladiator. Like, you don't think of Paul as a gladiator, but like, for some reason, God allowed him to take out these animals, and the animals didn't take him out. 
Which is like Paul's acknowledging, like, I don't know how I did this. Maybe he's acknowledging it looked like I got eaten by the animals, but I somehow came back to life. We don't know. Maybe everyone's like, ooh, that's rough. And then Paul pops up. He's like, hey, I'm fine. You know, we don't know. I wish Paul would have elaborated on this story because I think this would have been cool to know, right? This is one of those I want to ask in heaven when I get there. Like, what did you mean by you fought wild animals? Like, this is what we have live, like, reality TV for, and you just write it like a sentence, and it's no big deal. If the dead are not raised, Paul says, let us drink. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You can underline that in your Bible, because that's our culture. I just got to get mine. I'm going to enjoy every bit of life I can and do everything I can because you know what? It just, it doesn't matter. All, this life is all there is. You got one life to live and you got you to live it how you want it. And if anybody gets in the way of it, they're toxic. Get them out of the way. Don't let anybody tell you how to live your life. Have you read the Bible? It's a lot of God telling us how to live our life. Like a lot. A whole lot. It's like the point. Because we don't know how to live life. And Paul writes and he says, do not be deceived. Oh, sorry. I'll pause for a minute. I'm going to stop there. Now, going back, you may have a question about this whole baptized in the dead thing. I skipped over it and you're probably like, wait a minute. We can't, that's kind of weird. We need to go back to what you were just talking about. This baptism of the dead where Paul says, um, he goes, uh, why do they baptize for the dead? He's not, he uses a pronoun there. He uses the pronoun they. Not, why do we baptize for the dead? That's huge, because later he says we. He's talking about pagans. He's talking about people who don't believe in the true resurrection of Jesus. He's saying that even lost pagan idolatrous religions will wash their dead and baptize their dead, and they'll even be baptized on behalf of their dead, hoping that their dead will be okay with whatever gods are on the other side of eternity. They actually believe more in the resurrection than some of you Christians in Corinth, Paul is saying. He's saying, check your heart. The pagans believe more in the resurrection than you guys in the church do. He goes, he's not affirming that we should baptize people in the dead. He's saying that nature and religion itself says that there's an afterlife and we have to get ready for it. And if we're concerned that someone didn't get ready for it, oh no, what do we do? There should be a fear and a panic. There should be something that says, oh no. And Paul's saying that should motivate us to go out into the world and preach the gospel and tell people about Jesus before we get to that point, if you have family members that don't know Christ, please share the gospel with them this week. Call them and say, hey, Uncle Bob or whoever, and just be like, I have never, I know, I'm not sure you know the gospel. I don't, I'm not sure you know my story of how God changed my life. And, and I just wouldn't feel right if I didn't tell you about this. So I just need to take a moment and talk to you about this this week. It's the most important thing in my life and I don't want to hide it from people. And I just want to ask you if you know this. Yeah, I've heard it before. Okay, fine. I just, that's all I wanted to know. I just wanted to ask. Because I'm concerned. Because I believe that there's a resurrection. I believe there's an eternity. And I want to be sure that people are ready for it. So I was just asking. Well, you're judging me. I, I'm, not ju I'm not trying to judge you. I'm just giving you good news and hope. 
And if I'm being offensive, that's not my goal. But I'm telling you, you need to consider the afterlife. Like if we, Paul's writing, he's saying, pagans are more concerned about the afterlife than you guys in Corinth are. He said, Paul's like, I wasn't afraid to get attacked by wild animals because I know where I'm going. So Paul, we're going to throw you in the arena, fight some animals. Oh man, finally, I don't have to write another letter to these stupid churches. Yep, I'm in. I'm going. I hope the lion eats me because I'm about ready to tell Ephesus some pro- or tell another church, Galatia, the issues they have. And I'm exhausted by trying to write these churches. I'm ready to go. Then he's saved. He's like, I got to go write my letter. I thought I was out. thought it was time. <laughs> like Paul's writing this and he's saying, look, we have a hope that we should be telling the world. We have a hope that should tell people you don't have to be scared of death. That there is a God who has mercy and love and compassion. And he sent his son. And you don't have to stand before him one day wondering if you're good with God. Wondering. You can actually know by faith through the person of Jesus Christ. Because it's not your works that save you. See, if Paul believes in the baptism of the dead can save you, then it's like, well, then I'll just... I won't call my family members out. I won't discipline my children. I'll just go get baptized for them once they're dead. That's not the gospel. The gospel is we surrender our lives to Jesus. We by faith say, you're God. You're you're in charge. You are who you say you are. And I give my life to you. And God says, at that moment, you are born again. He says, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. You were literally an abortion. But God... The scriptures say, brought new life, resurrected life into you. And he says, I don't want you to stay infants, but if you're my infant child, you're still my infant child. So there are a lot of Christians running around. We had a conversation this week. There's a lot of Christians running around that are still walking around drinking milk bottles. Like they're just walking around because they don't know anything else. And there are a lot of churches that are still breastfeeding. That need to stop it. You need to mature your congregation. And maturity's hard. You gotta look at your kids and like, it's hard to tell them the truth and to discipline them. It's, they don't like it. They get mad at you. Sometimes they get mad at you for decades. People were mad at God for a long time. Some people are still mad at God. But Paul is saying, listen, if we really believe in this resurrection, if everything I've told you is true and why I planted this church and why I'm giving my life and why I'm doing this is because there's another world to come. There is another life. If that's true, then man, this should be everything for us, not just a sidebar that we talk about. And it's like we talk about all the benefits of Jesus. Oh, yeah, and you get the resurrection. Paul's like, oh, no, 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 no. Resurrection first. And maybe you'll get some other benefits in this life. Maybe not. Maybe you'll just die by lion's death and be resurrected. That's why he says in verse 33, he says this, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Be careful who you're hanging with. If the people you're hanging with don't have a mentality that's good about the cross. In other words, there's some groups of people that say, The cross is about you picking up your cross so you can earn salvation. So you can stand before God and say, look at all my bruises. Look at my crosses I carried. He's like, no, that is not good morals. That is not the morality of the Bible. 
And then there's a group of people who say, well, because you have Jesus, Jesus takes all your stripes. He takes your cross. And so he wants you to have the good life. He wants you to have everything you want. He wants you to be blessed beyond measure in this heavenly world. And anybody that steals your blessing or gets in the way of your blessing, you write them out. You move on. You get, get them out of the way. That will corrupt the morality of the Bible that says we are to love God and love people and give our lives, especially to people who don't deserve it. Now, does that mean we just give them everything? No, we hold them accountable. That's what God does. God gives us the earth and he holds us accountable. It's the same thing. He goes on and he says, come to your senses and stop sinning. If you believe there's another life, if you believe there's a resurrection, if you believe you're, you're living this labor and you're storing up treasures in heaven that are going to come to you one day, he's like, wake up. Don't do stupid. Like, do, do the things that are getting you ready for what you really believe. The question is, do we believe it? And then he says, for some people are ignorant about God. And I say this to your shame. In other words, you guys are just fine with people staying ignorant about God. Stop it. Stop. We have got to stop being ignorant about who God is, his full character, his wrath, his justice, his amazing mercy and amazing love and grace. All of it is the character of God. And Paul says, I want you to stop sinning, but it's not so you can get something. It's not so you can earn heaven. It's not so you can get your family members out of heaven. That's not why I want you to stop sinning. I want you to stop sinning because you actually believe that there's another life. That Jesus is exactly who he says he was. He was the Old Testament Messiah who was to come, who died, was resurrected, went to heaven, and he's preparing a home for you, and he's asking you to get ready to go. We have a couple that may be getting ready to leave our church, and they are getting ready to go. I got a whole truckload of wood in the back of my truck because they're trying to get stuff out of their house so they can get ready to go, right? And I was so excited to help them get ready to go because we're to go out into the world and to make Christ known. That's the point. He goes on and he says this. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? Okay, Paul. Okay, this gospel message. But I've, I've never seen anyone raised. You ever seen anyone raised from the dead? I haven't. I, I've never seen someone raised from the dead. I've seen people like have miracles and like be healed. I've seen that. But I've never seen someone come from death to life. Like three dead. Like we had a, I've never done a funeral as a pastor and then had to go back and be like, Wow, the ground opened up and the caskets opened and there's Bob. I've never had that happen. Not saying it can't happen, just never had it happen. And so someone will say, well, how are the dead raised? I've never seen that. What kind of body will they have when they come to life? Like these are questions that are questions we ask. But Paul says, foolish one, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Tune in if you're tuned out, just for this statement. If you're wanting a resurrection of the life you have now and the body you have now and the world you've created for yourself, you don't understand the gospel. This is the world we're in. It's great. We need to be grateful for it. We need to be thankful. But all of it is tainted and a mess. And God calls us to be responsible with it. But I am telling you, 
foolish one. You have to go into the ground and stay there so that something better comes. Jesus, by the way, went into the ground, he came out of the ground, and he didn't stay walking around earth. You can't go visit him in Jerusalem right now. You know where he's at? Whoo, in heaven. He's gone. He didn't stay. He stayed for a time, and then he left to say, there's no more resurrection until I come again. And there's going to be one final resurrection. And when that happens, we're all coming back to life. And there'll be no death. And all of a sudden, it's going to be like, oh, it was so worth it. And we're all wanting to have a life that God will resurrect. It's kind of this terrible mess. And we're like, God, we just want you to kind of fix the things we like. And God's like, I'm going to give you something you can't even imagine. You want to trade? Nope. I'll take what's behind, what I know is behind door number one. No door number two or three for me. And Paul is writing and he's saying, understand that as for what you sow, you are not sowing the future body, but only a seed. Perhaps of wheat or another grain. It's just a tiny seed. Your soul, your effort, your labor but God gives it a body as he wants and to each of the seeds its own body. God takes the seed of a sperm and an egg and at the moment they meet, there is actually a reaction that happens that causes a flash of energy and light in the womb. We know this now. We didn't know this in the 1970s. And when God says he is light, and light is what brings life into the world, he says, someday I'm going to come again, and I'm going to light it up. And when I do, it's going to be amazing. And so when we look at this, and he says, it's just a, just a tiny sperm, just a tiny egg. We can't even see them. And then this thing grows and becomes a child. Then you feed it, and it keeps growing. And I have size 13 shoes that you can't find. Like, like, that's what happens. And then they have kids, and they have kids, and all of a sudden there's all this fruit. God's, Paul's like, you embrace that in your world, but if I talk to you on spiritual terms about that stuff, you're like, I don't want a God like that. I don't want a God that makes that much sense. I want a God that does what I want to do, not what makes sense. And what he's created. And so he's looking at them, he's saying, your obedience is not in vain. This gospel message is not vanity. It's true. He goes on. Ecclesiastes says this. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. By the way, Solomon did not write uh, Proverbs 31. Isabel was good to correct me last week. His mother wrote it. Solomon wrote it as in he compiled it, but he didn't actually write Psalm 31. His mother did, probably because he's like, you keep trying new women. Stop it. Here's what a perfect woman is. Laid it out for him. Ecclesiastes 12.8. This is Solomon, the wisest man to ever exist. The richest, most wealthiest, most peaceful empire ever. Look at what he says. Absolute futility, says the teacher, or Solomon. Everything is futile. This is the end of the book. This is also the end of Solomon's life. In addition to the teacher being a wise man, he constantly taught the people knowledge. He weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs 
The teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. The sayings of the wise are like goads, and those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. These sayings are given by one shepherd. These sayings are given by one shepherd. They're coming from the great shepherd. But beyond these, my son, be warned, there is no end to the making of many books. And much study wearies the body. And all of God's college students say amen. Right? Verse 13 of Ecclesiastes says, When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God. Fear God first. Stop fearing everything else. And look at God and say, I am so afraid to meet you one day. And hear him say, I know. I've provided a way. You don't need to be afraid. You can be my child because of what my son has done for you. You can be adopted into the family. That is beautiful to look and say, I fear God. And then God says, and if you understand the fear of me, then keep my commandments. Because this is for all humanity. All of humanity needs to be told they need to have the proper view of God and the proper view of what he tells us to do and why to do it. And that's what we're struggling with in Corinth. That's what they were struggling with in Corinth. And that's what we're struggling with today. Is our labor worth it? Because it seems like people aren't getting this, especially in the church. Can I just remind you, Paul's writing the book of 1 Corinthians because people aren't getting it, especially in the church. It's, this isn't a new thing. We act like we're like this new problem. No, it's always been there. Paul goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There's one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. So he's like, why do you struggle with thinking you're going to get a different fleshly body someday? You don't struggle with a fish is different than you. You don't be like, man, I wish I had a fish body. Like, maybe you do. I don't know. Maybe you're like Aquaman. 40 says, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. They are. They don't have like gravity and water and life like we have. We keep trying to find it and we can't find it. He goes on and he says, oh, by the way, Paul's writing all this not knowing that there aren't other universes. Like he doesn't know the science we know and Paul's like proving science here, by the way. Then he says, there's a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, another of the stars, For one star differs from another star in splendor. No, they're just all stars, right? They're all the same. No, we know they're not. He's looking and he's saying, you know, it's easy to think that it's all worthless. Somebody else's flesh and somebody else's life is better. It'd be better if I was a... There are days I look out the window and I think, I wish I was a bird. I do. I don't know why. I just look and I'm like, oh, it'd be so nice. And then I think, yeah, but the average lifespan of a sparrow is like four years. But then I'm like... But then I think to myself, that's, that's okay. Like, I'd be, I think I'd be okay with that. Like, and I'm just watching them, like, go around and do their thing. And I'm like, oh, it'd be so nice. No one's holding them responsible. Every once in a while, a bird messes with them. But it's like, you know, they can fly away. I'm like, I, I do. And, and I look. So I get what Paul's saying here, that it's easy to kind of think, well, I wish I had the bird's labor. I wish I had your life or your life. Paul's like, no. You've been given the flesh of Christ. He goes on to say, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. It's a mess. Every flesh is corrupt. Everything's messed up. He says, sown in dishonor, 
In other words, we so honoring ourselves, not honoring God, yet God somehow raises it to his glory. Sown in weakness, but God somehow uses our weakness and our little seeds we plant and grows something amazing. There's this guy called Johnny Appleseed. You ever heard of him? It's why we have so many apple trees in America, because some dude, Johnny Appleseed. It's the truth. It's just the weirdest thing. Like, I mean, there's tons of legends. Probably most of it's not true fully, but dude was about planting apple trees. I got apples on my counter, probably because of Johnny Appleseed. I mean, so it is with all of this. It's like he could have just been like, oh, this is so pointless. I'm not planting any more apple trees. They're going to take like 15 years. I may be dead before any of these things grow. I don't care. I'm done with apples. But he kept planting apple seeds. He goes on, he says, sown in a natural body, raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That we became living beings. Life began. But then we became spiritual life through Jesus. Paul goes on to say, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. In other words, the natural has to die so the spiritual can take over. But the first man was from the earth and made of dust. The second man is from heaven. Do you realize that when he wrote this, that was kind of radical, he was made from dust? It's called matter. Matter. Like, that's what we call it. We know now scientifically that's what it is. And then he says in verse 48, like the man made of dust, so are those who are made of dust. Like the heavenly man, so are those who are heavenly. In other words, if you believe in Jesus, if you've trusted him, if you've taken on his spiritual identity, the Bible says that you are a different person. There's a different thing going on, that you're creating a different life even if you don't see it and know it. Oh, and by the way, the old life is dying. And it doesn't matter. What you want to pray or what you want to do, it's still going to die. It doesn't matter how many healing services you go to, eventually one's not going to work. He goes on and he says, and just as we have borne the image of the man made of dust, boy do I bear that image. (laughs) We also bear the image of the heavenly man. That we can be God's image bearers in the world and show them that there is a different way to do life. And I'm telling you, it will look so foolishness, like foolishness to them. Because Paul said it would. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But can I just tell you, there are some people out there, some of them sitting in this room who recently, who are looking for life. They're sick of perishing. And there is life for those who believe the gospel. And there are those that, are, that know they're perishing and are looking for life. And those are the ones that Paul and that God through Paul said, we've got to go out and tell. He goes on as we wrap up and he says this. Brothers, I tell you this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And corruption cannot inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will, will we not all fall asleep? But we will all be changed in a moment, in the blink of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with the incorruptible 
This, this corruptible soul I have, and this mortal must be clothed with immortality. It's the idea that God's going to clothe us. When Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, he had to give them clothing because they weren't prepared for the world they were going into. He gave them a different covering. God says that's going to happen again one day. And the Bible says that Jesus is going to give us a robe. He is going to clothe us. And we are going to literally just be cheering him on as he comes back. That's our job is to just praise him and cheer him on as he does his work. Paul finishes up and he says, when this corruptible is clothed with the incorruptibility, man, would it be so awesome to to not have a corruptible car, right? An incorruptible automobile, Always runs, never fill it up. There's no gas bill. There's no plugging it in. Like, it's just an incorruptible, never breaks down, never any rust. Like, woohoo! That's awesome, right? And some of you are like, yeah, but I like to change my car out, like my clothes every once in a while. And so that's what the children of Israel complained about, right? Like, God said, I'm going to make your clothes last forever. And they're like, oh, oh. you know, so sick of wool. I want something different. He goes on, he says, look at this. It's going to be clothed. Then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. That is such a foolish statement if you don't believe in Jesus and the resurrection. That death is victory? Yeah. The war is finally over and Christ wins. This war I have in my body is finally over, and he wins. I'm done. He says, death has been swallowed up. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Put that on your mirror. Put it on your car dash. Stick it somewhere, because I know I need to hear that today. It was a long week. I got here this morning exhausted. Jay's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm tired. (laughs) I'm just tired. And in my tiredness, I don't want to be mean or say anything stupid, so I'm just quiet and working. (laughs) That's just what I'm doing. And God says, your labor is not in vain. Moms out there, moms online. Mom's in this room. God ain't done with you yet because you ain't dead. (laughs) Whatever your labor is, and for those of you who are older mothers, your labor isn't having more children. That's over. You're probably thankful for that, but it's over. There is a new labor God has for you. It's a labor of prayer. It's a labor of love. It's a labor of encouragement. It's a labor of giving what's left of your life to other kids, if your kids aren't around you, giving your life to a church family. It's the beauty of the gospel. And when that is done, it should just be like, yes, your labor is not in vain. And for all of us, know that God says your labor, the little things that you do, the the, the decisions to die to yourself and plant a seed of death to say, God, I'm dying to myself and I'm going to live for you is not in vain. It's worth it. 
Because there's a resurrection and you may never see the worth of it on this side of eternity. I'm telling you, you may never see it. Most of the people of the Bible never got to see the picture of it being worth it until they got on the other side. They never got to see the worth and the ultimate fruit. They just had to believe by faith God would do it. And so this morning I want to encourage you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, Jesus says you can know him and your labor will stop being in vain. You can be resurrected. You can have a new life. You can no longer be afraid of death. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean it's not still labor because it's still labor. But God says there can be a point to it that's worth it, that it's not in vain. So if you've not trusted Christ, I, I, please go before him and say, I'm tired of vain labor. I want it to count for something, and so I surrender. I give my life to you so you can do in me what I can't do. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, I give myself to you. You are who you say you are. You were resurrected. I'm believing in a new life. And For those of us who are believers, like he's writing to the Corinthians, we need to ask ourselves these questions. Do we really believe this? Are we embracing it each day or are we trying to get life instead of looking to give our life? And if that's where we're at, isn't it beautiful that God's a great dad and we'll just say, that's okay, son. Come on, let's work on it. Let me show you. Let me give you some siblings around you to help you, hold you accountable. Because we'd love to be held accountable by our siblings. That's God's message this morning. Your labor is not in vain. That's Paul's message to this church as he's wrapping up and he's told them a lot of very hard things. Your labor's not in vain. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word in 1 Corinthians. Lord, I thank you that as Paul writes this book and he lays this out for this church and for these people that are your children that Paul loved dearly and that you love dearly, that he makes it clear when he comes to the end that we've got to be focused on the gospel on who you are. And if we're focused on you, it'll affect every other area of our life. It'll, it'll completely transform how we see the world. And Lord, like Paul says, I pray that we be careful who we're listening to. Bad company corrupts good morals. Lord, help us to be around people who are pointing us to heaven, that are pointing us to you, that are pointing to a world that we can't make for ourselves, but that only you can, that we need to cry out and beg you and ask you to intervene for. Those are the people that are right where your heart is. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that we would just do business with you. Lord, we'd celebrate the fact that we know you if we know you and we'd smile. And as we sing these last few words to you, I pray that they would be the, just the joy of our heart to say you are who you say you are. And I can labor another week, another day because of you. For the moms that are out there, I pray that they would see that their labor has not been in vain. And I pray that if they see the corruption of their life and the stupid things they've done, and they see just how they're not who they should be, I pray that they would go back and read this and see that you're the one that makes it incorruptible. You're the one that takes what's weak and messed up, and you change it. And they would find confidence in you. So Lord, we thank you this morning. We praise you, because you have all the glory. And our labor, if it's you doing it through us, is never in vain.